a constant state of optimism. The born-again, exercising his or her childlike faith, resides in a constant state of optimism. A host of marvelous verses in the Holy Bible declare words of hope and promise, and our childlike faith certifies and puts the promises in motion. Hebrews 11:6. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. When I note my optimism is broken, then I need to go back to God's words and reestablish my confidences, reestablish my childlike faith. How glorious is this passage in God's beautiful book, Hebrews 11.1. 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Consider Proverbs 4.18. But the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. I like to compare the born-again journey to Route 7 North obedience. Every day the redeemed picks up their cross and lay down 20 miles north on Route 7. And every day we draw closer to our journey's end, eternal life in Christ Jesus, the light of the world, the bright and morning star. Every day the path grows brighter. Now couple Proverbs 4.18 with Romans 8.28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. The believer who is applying Proverbs 4.18 in Romans 28 can say with confidence, Today is the best day of my life, and tomorrow will be better. When death comes knocking at a Christian's door, the godly spirit of optimism opens the door. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one through 57 Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. When this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The born again who exercise their childlike faith reside in a marvelous, constant state of optimism. Have you yet to be born again? Born a most literal second time, this time of the Spirit of God? Today, all your sin and shame can be washed away by Christ's cleansing blood, and today can be the day all Satan's bondages are broken. Make your move while it is still called today, and your life will begin anew, fresh and clean, and imagine, cloaked with everlasting optimism. Click on the Further with Jesus for childlike instructions and immediate entry into the kingdom of God. Now, for today's subject. God said, Exodus 20, verse 11, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. 
Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. God said, Jeremiah fifty-one thirty-four. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, hath devoured me. He hath crushed me. He hath made me an empty vessel. He hath swallowed me up like a dragon. He hath filled his belly with my delicates. He hath cast me out. God said, John 19, verses 19 through 22. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Man said, The Bible and its God are no match for today's academic champions. Today's science is all the God we need. Wait, what? What did the doctor say? I have two weeks to live. Oh, God, help me, God. (laughs) Now the record. Welcome to God Said, Man Said, feature article 905 that will certify once again the full inerrancy of God's Bible. Each of these faith-contending features is archived here in text and streaming audio for the edification of the saints and as ammunition in the battle for the souls of men. Every Thursday Eve, God willing, they grow by one. Thank you for visiting with us. God's blessings be your portion. God has preserved His omnipotent Word all these thousands of years that we might have a light unto our path an anchor for our souls, and a comfort during this life's pilgrimage. No book ever written has been vetted like the majority text Holy Bible. For over 6,000 years, Satan has attacked the veracity of Holy Writ from every direction. Satan has mounted a full frontal attack, orchestrated his subliminal ambushments, set up his contenders in every level of the world's social structures, both hidden and overt, yet in all their efforts they have failed time after miserable time. Imagine, the entire carnal world is at war with God. Wise men and women, wise boys and girls, make their peace while peace can be made. God's Word is true and righteous altogether, every jot and every tittle. It's time to settle it in your heart. This latest feature in the God Said, Man Said, Every Jot and Every Tittle series will offer up God Proofs 156 to 160. Get ready for Holy Ghost shock and awe. God Proof 156. Deuteronomy eleven eighteen through 21. Therefore shall ye lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul, and bind them for a sign upon your hand, that they may be as frontlets between your eyes. And ye shall teach them your children, speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt write them upon the doorpost of thine house, and upon thy gates, that your days may be multiplied, and the days of your children in the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers to give them as the days of heaven upon the earth. When God gave his inerrant commandments and precepts to Moses and Israel, it was for the purpose of nation building, building a nation 
that would honor and revere God's Word and ultimately be the conduit by which God's Messiah, His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, would enter this world. This Messiah would make a way of escape for the lost sons of Adam who would believe upon His name and follow Him. God gave Moses perfect laws by which Israel would thrive and lead among the world's league of nations. God's laws were laws of conduct, diet, hygiene, agriculture, animal husbandry, marriage, child-rearing, judgment, and more, all laws that would make the Israelites a strong and prosperous people. God said that by following His directives, their days would be like the days of heaven upon the earth. God's laws meant no litigious society where neighbor is constantly suing neighbor, no STDs, sexually transmitted diseases, because fornication and bestiality were adamantly forbidden. In the U.S., 110 million of its people are plagued with STDs. No ingesting of contaminated, unclean, and improperly prepared foods that can be and have been proven deadly and which directly damage healthy living and longevity. No eating of minerally depleted crops harvested from minerally depleted earth in Israel, the land enjoyed its Sabbath of rest, where the earth was renewed and insects were kept in control without the use of harmful pesticides. No complaining in the streets and no division or hostility one to another. Psalms 144:11 through 15 Rid me and deliver me from the hand of strange children, whose mouth speaketh vanity, and their right hand is a right hand of falsehood that our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth, that our daughters may be as cornerstones polished after the similitude of a palace, that our garners may be full, affording all manner of store, that our sheep may bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our streets, that our oxen may be strong to labor, that there be no breaking in nor going out, that there be no complaining in our streets." Happy is that people that is in such a case. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. And how about this one? No fear of death. After a healthy life free of many of life's stressors, one would leave this earth for eternal life in Christ Jesus. These are just a few examples of how obeying God's perfect laws ensured Israel would become a powerful nation and its people's days as the days of heaven upon the earth. God proof 157, Genesis chapter 5, 3 through 6. And Adam lived an hundred and thirty years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. And the days of Adam after he had begotten Seth were eight hundred years and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days that Adam lived were nine hundred and thirty years and he died. And Seth lived a hundred and five years and begat Enos. God said, man said, receive the following email from Doug. I can't believe anyone could be this ignorant. Why don't you take a trip to the Grand Canyon and then get back to me about the earth being 6,000 years old? Anyone with an IQ over 75 seriously looking for religion in their life could not possibly buy this BS. You are actually causing more harm than good, Doug. Is the earth and its universe billions of years old as evolutionary theory purports it to be? Or is it just over 6,000 years old as God's word declares? 
Many are surprised when they discover evolution's billions of years are collapsing like a house of cards. When science dates the age of the Earth outside the realm of evolution's false assumptions, we end up with a very young Earth, Grand Canyon and all. In the September 2012 issue of Acts and Facts, science writer Brian Thomas wrote concerning the age of man and the Earth under the title, A Recent Explosion of Human Diversity. Several paragraphs follow. One such evidence is human genetic diversity, which leaves evolutionary history in a quagmire while confirming a straightforward interpretation of Genesis. The research team investigated the amount of diversity among today's human genes and how long it took to reach the current amount of diversity. They concluded that human genes diversified recently. The authors wrote, The maximum likelihood time for accelerated growth was 5,115 years ago. This is a tiny fraction, two-tenths of a percent, of the 2.4 million years of humanity that evolutionists suppose. The explosion of human genetic diversity has occurred in parallel with and because of human population growth. With each new person comes another opportunity for DNA differences to arise, either by design, genetic shuffling processes, or mutations. In short, why does the human genetic diversity, why does the data fit so well with biblical creation? Evolutionary theory provides no real answer to what caused the radical bottleneck in the worldwide human population at that time, whereas the Bible teaches that it was Noah's flood. This genetic study confirms Moses and the prophets. Both science and scripture show that humans have multiplied and diversified within the past 5,100 years. End of quote. The headline in the December 29, 2012 issue of Science News reads, Human Diversity's Recent Explosion. The subhead reads, Most genetic variation came about in, la in the last 5,000 years. End of quote. The more science looks into the invisible, the more the facts shout, Yes, to God's Holy Bible. Now consider this headline from the May 2013 issue of Acts and Facts. Is mankind getting dumber? Several paragraphs, again written by science writer Brian Thomas, follow. Do today's children have lower IQs than yesterday's? Yes, according to measurements of intellectual and emotional strength gathered from different countries and contexts. The results show the same basic decline and resist the notion that public or other forms of education are to blame. Could this cause instead lie within? Crabtree identified two fundamental processes as the main culprits. First, human intelligence uses neurons, and these cells can only function properly if their genes stay in top shape. Second, these genes are susceptible to degradation. This loss of organization occurs continually as mutations slowly, irreversibly garble genes, and the resulting errors pile up and are not corrected. Each new generation accrues about 60 new mutations to the gene-coding DNA regions of the human genome. Crabtree applied this rate to calculate that every 20 to 50 generations we should sustain a mutation and one copy of one of our many ID genes. As a result, in the past 3,000 years, each of us should have accumulated at the very least 2.5 to 6 mutations in ID genes accordingly. 
the human intellect perhaps reached a peak 2,000 to 6,000 years ago. Third, humanity has suffered genetic degradation since then under the curse, end of quote. Mitochondrial DNA appears to mutate much faster than expected and raises questions about evolutionary long-age dating. First, it was said that the first man and woman entered the world's history around one million years ago, then 200,000 years, then 100,000, then 60,000. But now Dr. Daniel Criswell says that humanity is just a few thousand years old. You can trust the Word of God. Three short excerpts follow from Refuting Evolution, written by Jonathan Sarfati, Ph.D. FM. Nevertheless, the evidence for catastrophic formation is so pervasive that there is a growing body of neo-catastrophists, but because of their naturalistic bias, they prefer, prefer, of course, excuse me, to reject the explanation of the Genesis global flood. However, a cataclysmic globe-covering and fossil-forming flood would have eroded huge quantities of sediment and deposited them elsewhere. Many organisms would have been buried very quickly and fossilized. Also, recent catastrophes show that violent events like the flood described in Genesis could form many rock layers very quickly. The Mount St. Helens eruption in Washington state produced 25 feet of finely layered sediment in a single afternoon, end of quote. In addition to the doctrine of uniformitarianism, much of the theorist old-age dating is based on dating techniques such as plutonium-238 or carbon-14. Most are shocked when they discover the unreliability of their age assessments, again from Dr. Safadi. There are many examples where the dating methods give dates that are wrong for rocks of known historical age. One example is rock from a dacite lava dome at Mount St. Helens volcano. Although we know the rock was formed in 1986, the rock was dated by the potassium-argon method. It's 0.35 plus or minus 0.05 million years old. Another is the KR dating of five anthracite lava flows from Mount Norahu in New Zealand. The dates range from 0.27 to 3.5 million years. But one lava flow occurred in 1949, three in 1954, and one in 1975, end of quote. The subheadline in Science News, November 2008, reads, Physicists are stirred by claims that the sun may change what's unchangeable, the rate of radioactive decay. Just two paragraphs follow. A change of less than a percent may, sound, uh, may not sound like a lot, but if the change is real rather than an anomaly in the detector, it would challenge the entire concept of half-life and even force physicists to rewrite their nuclear physics textbooks. If the variations turn out to be genuine, the theories may need revision or new theories may be needed. There's no known theory that will predict something like this, says theoretical physicist Rabindrop Mohapatra of the University of Maryland in College Park. End of quote. Now back to our emailer. Trickle down, Doug, is just not working. There is not enough time and not enough trickle. 
we recommend a new trip to the Grand Canyon. Pick up a few marine fossils. While you're at it, stop at Mount St. Helens. Doug, your friends are jumping ship. It's time for you to come aboard. God Proof 158, Jeremiah 51, verse 34. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, hath devoured me. He hath crushed me. He hath made me an empty vessel. He hath swallowed me up like a dragon. He hath filled his belly with my delicates. He hath cast me out. History is abundantly clear that man and dinosaurs lived contemporaneously together, and if that is true, and it is, evolutionists will need to find some very tall grass in which to hide. In his book, Dragons or Dinosaurs, Derek Isaacs makes some very telling statements about the implications of man and dinosaur coexisting. Louis Jacobs, author and former president of the Society of Vertebrate Paleontology, stated the implications of this powerful question of man and dinosaur coexistence. He said this, Such an association would, would dispel an earth with vast antiquity. The entire history of creation, including the day of rest, could be accommodated in the seven biblical days of the Genesis myth. Evolution would be vanquished. End of quote. Keep in mind, until 1848, the word dinosaur was not in the English lexicon. Biblical names like dragon, leviathan, behemoth, fiery flying serpents, and cockatrice were used to describe the giant fossils and strange creatures that were being discovered. Derek Isaacs continues with a discussion on dragons and dinosaurs being seen as common animals. A series of 12 animal names are used to denote a sequence in the Chinese calendar. In order, these names are rat, ox, tiger, hare, dragon, snake, horse, sheep, monkey, fowl, dog, and pig. Notice that amongst the animals that are familiar to people around the world lies the dragon, a creature that has been thought to be only a myth. Yet one of the oldest societies in the world has used the dragon as a cultural icon, and for centuries the Chinese have included the dragon in a list of common animals like the sheep, rabbit, and dog. Creation Magazine reported in September of 2003 that Philip Bell went on a fact-finding mission to the United Kingdom to see for himself the unusual carvings on a bishop's tomb. Bell visited the Carlisle Cathedral in the United Kingdom to view an alleged engraving that was kept underneath the rug. The rug covered a tomb that is inlaid in brass. The tomb belongs to Richard Bell, Bishop of Carlisle, A.D. 1410 to 1496. There's no family relation, although, between the bishop and Philip. The brass artifact contained an image of the bishop dressed in his full priestly garb with cap and staff. But as Philip Bell correctly points out, there is a narrow piece of engraved brass that is roughly nine and a half feet long that runs around the edge of the tomb that has become of particular interest. To the casual visitor, a look at this large brass set in stone would reveal nothing out of the ordinary. But on closer inspection, one can see engravings of creatures that any 21st century child would instantly recognize as dinosaurs. Bell recognized that the bishop's tomb was sealed and decorated over four centuries before such a creature was even on earth identified and named. 
end of quote. The engraved creature, locked in deadly compact, looked like a seropod or possibly an apotosaurus. Again, from dragons or dinosaurs. There is truly, uh, there is a truly stunning petroglyph in White Rock Canyon in the Natural Bridges State Park near Blanding, Utah. The location is more precisely known as Cochina Bridge. The petroglyphs are attributed to the Anasazi Indians who lived in the area from A.D. 400 to A.D. 1200. Therefore, the Anasazi Indian petroglyph, in which we are interested, is around 300 to 1,000 years older than the brass carvings on Bishop Bell's tomb. At the Glendive Dinosaur and Fossil Museum in Glendive, Montana, this Anasazi petroglyph is explained with a quote from Fran Barnes, a recognized authority on rock art from the American Southwest. There is a petroglyph in the Natural Bridges National Monument that bears a striking resemblance to a dinosaur, specifically a brontosaurus with a long tail and neck, small head and all. Now compare the long neck and the long tail and body to that of the dinosaur image in England. There is no reason other than eyewitness accounts of a real creature that can explain the similarity of the carvings on a rock in America and the sculpted brass in England by two distinctly different cultures who never had any contact with each other. Staying within the state of Utah, we can view another American Indian phenomenon. This time, it's a pictograph on rock. Ponder the similarities between the pictograph and the reconstruction of a flying reptile known as the Quetzalo Atlas. It's an extremely large pterosaur, and it's a dead ringer. Expert Fran Barnes commented on this as well. In the San Rafael Swell, there is a pictograph that looks very much like a pterosaur, a Cretaceous flying reptile. The Quetzalcoatlus is an extraordinarily large pterosaur that evolutionary theory claims is from the Cretaceous period 65 to 145 million years ago. Yet again, the American Indians exercised commendable knowledge about creatures that were not supposed to be around. This is archaeological confirmation to the oral and written histories of our past. In 1924, a scientific expedition explored the Havasupai Canyon to study pictographs, petroglyphs, and artifacts left behind by the ancient American Indians. The director of the expedition was Samuel Hubbard, the honorary curator of archaeology of the Oakland Museum, Charles W. Gil Charles w. Gilmore, excuse me, the curator of paleontology at the United States National Museum, was also on the team. This is what they found, and here is what Hubbard had to say. The fact that some prehistoric man made a pictograph of a dinosaur on the walls of this canyon upsets completely all of our theories regarding the antiquity of man. Facts are stubborn and immutable things. If theories do not square with the facts, then the theories must change. The facts remain. The stegosaur's name means plated lizard or roofed reptile. In the thick jungles of Cambodia, the temples of Angkor were built between the 9th and 12th centuries. The antiquity and authenticity of this archaeological site is beyond any dispute. It is truly ancient. The Khmer people, the inhabitants of the region, who lived from A.D. 50 to A.D. 1400, 
proved to be very skilled builders and carvers. On one of the dramatic pillars with the temp on the temple grounds is a stegosaurus. It's carved in stone. The shape and size of the plates that run the entire length of the creature's back and tail are perfectly in proportion to what a stegosaurus would have had. The Khmer people had to have an intimate knowledge of this dinosaur. The ramifications of man being actual eyewitnesses to these creatures can mean a great deal of things, but one obvious conclusion is that evolutionary scientists have been sorely wrong on when they believe dinosaurs lived. These creatures cannot be removed by 65 million years. The evidence strongly suggests that they were alive only a few hundred years ago. Proof number 159, Acts 2, 22 through 24. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. One of the proof platforms used on God said, man said, is titled The Historicity of Jesus Christ. It's hard to imagine that some of Satan's champions even deny Christ's existence, but they do. One researcher asserted that there was more empirical evidence that Christ lived, ministered, and was crucified and resurrected than there was evidence to support the existence of George Washington. The following statement was made by F.F. F. Bruce Rylands, professor of biblical criticism and exegesis of the University of Manchester. Some writers may toy with the fancy of a Christ myth, but they do not do so on the ground of historical evidence. The historicity of Christ is as axiomatic for an unbiased historian as the historicity of Julius Caesar. It is not historians who propagate the Christ myth theories, end of quote. The following paragraph is from Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Christ. Strobel quotes famed barrister Sir Lionel Lacou concerning the legitimacy of the historicity of Jesus Christ and even something as dramatic as gospel central as the resurrection. It reads, That was also the assessment of Sir Lionel Lacou, the brilliant and savvy attorney whose astounding 245 consecutive murder acquittals earned him a place in the Guinness Book of World Records as the world's most successful lawyer. Knighted twice by Queen Elizabeth, this former justice and diplomat subjected the historical facts about the resurrection to his own rigorous analysis for several years before declaring, I say unequivocally, that the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof which leaves absolutely no room for doubt, end of quote. God Proof 160, Acts chapter 4, 9 through 12. If we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand before you whole. This is the stone which, the, which is set, was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, 
for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Highly accredited Jewish historian Flavius Josephus was born in 37 AD, just a few years after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he wrote concerning Jesus. The following paragraphs are from Grant Jeffrey's book, The Signature of God, and he addresses this issue. Jewish historian Flavius Josephus, a contemporary of the Apostle Paul, recorded the following. Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold these and ten thousand other wonderful things concerning him. And the tribe of the Christians so named from him are not extinct at this day. Josephus, published in Rome, his definitive study of the history of the Jewish people titled Antiquities of the Jews. One of the most fascinating passages in this history concerns the events in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. As expected, numerous liberal scholars have declared that Josephus' reference to Jesus Christ and another reference to James and John the Baptist must be interpolations or forgeries added later by unnamed Christian editors. An assertion of forgery requires significant proof, but none of the scholars can produce an ancient copy of Antiquities of the Jews that does not contain the quoted passage on Jesus. Philip Schaff has declared that all ancient copies of Josephus' book, including the early Slavic and Arabic language versions do in fact contain the disputed passage about the life of Jesus Christ. Every copy of the Antiquities of the Jews from the 4th and 5th centuries A.D. and several different languages contains these passages. If the events recorded in the Gospels actually occurred, it is only natural that Josephus would mention them in his narrative. Biblical scholar Craig Blomberg wrote that Many recent studies of Josephus, however, agree that much of the passage closely resembles Josephus' style of writing elsewhere. Most of the passage seems to be authentic, and is certainly the most important ancient non-Christian testimony to the life of Jesus, which has been preserved. Bloomberg concluded with this statement, The Gospels may therefore be trusted as historically reliable. End of quote settle the issue. Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory, and there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. God said, Exodus 20, verse 11, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. God said, Jeremiah 51, 34, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, hath devoured me. He hath crushed me. He hath made me an empty vessel. He hath swallowed me up like a dragon. He hath filled his belly with my delicates. He hath cast me out. God said, John nineteen nineteen, And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, 
the king of the Jews. Man said, the Bible and its God are no match for today's academic champions. Today's science is all the God that we need. Wait, what? What did the doctor say? I have two weeks to live? Oh, God, help me, God! <laughs> now you have the record. <laughs> 